Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again. So thankful to have this opportunity once again to be here with you and open up God's Word and study a little more deeply into it. Try to learn some more of those rich teachings and truths that God has communicated to us therein. Teachings and truths to help us to live the life that will lead us to heaven, the life that will be in faithful obedience before God, and thereby show him our true honor as we try to glorify him by living by his teachings. It's important that we understand what God expects of us. Let me tell you, and, and I don't have to emphasize this to any degree because all you have to do is look around you and you quickly recognize the truth. Our world is buried, if you would, engulfed. You can use other descriptive terms in unrighteousness, in evil, in wickedness, in sin. And basically all of that can be summarized with the word unfaithfulness, the phrase unfaithfulness to God. People aren't living by what the Bible teaches. Now, that might surprise some people, but probably not all that many. Some people would say, well, I'm, I, I'm trying, or over here in, in, in our area, we're doing it. Uh, well, a lot of people would claim that, but they don't really get into the depth of God's word to understand what he really expects. And so even many who would claim to be trying to do that, they, they have not studied deeply enough to really know what it is that God wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. We need to be dedicated to God, but perhaps even more important, or at least just as important, is we, know, we need to know how to be dedicated to God. That's what we've been looking at, this particular principle, over the last three programs. We've been talking about how we dedicate ourselves to God being important. Many people would just say, well, yeah, you need to be dedicated to God. Well, that's good. What does that mean? When you begin asking different people what that means to be dedicated to God, you come away with a whole lot of different answers and a whole lot of different opinions. Well, Christianity is really not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of teaching. It is a matter of principle communicated to us specifically in God's word. We need to know his word then in order to know how he expects us to be dedicated to him. As we have introduced this particular series of studies, we have spent some time going back into the Old Testament and seeing how David learned this principle in a very graphic and vivid way. We saw that Years, many years after the nation of Israel had been defeated in war by their Philistine enemies, the Philistines actually captured the Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of God's presence with Israel and among Israel. They took that Ark back to their land and they placed it initially in, in a temple of Dagon, which was their God, as they called him, it was just a statue, it was nothing, but they worshipped that statue as a God, as deity. 
And the next day when they came into the temple, they found the statue of Dagon laying on the ground. Well, they picked it back up and put it back on its, on its place there. The next day they came in and they found it laying on the ground again, and this time it was broken in pieces. There is no God but the one true God, the Lord God Jehovah. And it was not long until there got to be physical problems developing and breaking out among the male population of that particular city within the land of the Philistines. And it got to be so bad that they took the ark because that was what the time period that this malady, these maladies began to break out. And so they sent it to another one of their chief cities and the same problems broke out there among the male populations. They started having physical illnesses and ailments. And they moved it to another one and the same thing happened there. And wherever they moved it, the same kind of problems developed within the male populations of those cities. So eventually, they learned the lesson and they said, uh, in essence, we've got to get rid of this thing. <laughs> so they sent it back to Israel. And when it, when the, the, uh, when it was transported across the borders of Israel, it was taken and kept in a house of a private citizen named Abinadab. And it was there for many, many, many years. In the meantime, as history transpired, David ultimately became king of Israel. And David determined that the ark should be brought to a city of Israel. He decided Jerusalem and centralized worship within the nation should be reestablished. So he took 30,000 men with him, and in great procession, they began to transport the Ark of the Covenant from the household of Abinadab to Jerusalem. As they went, as they transported the Ark, they did so on a new cart pulled by oxen. Along the way, the, cart, uh, the oxen stumbled, and the driver reached back to steady the Ark, to keep it from tipping over, we would understand. And as he touched the ark to steady it, God struck him dead. David was perplexed. He didn't know why God had struck this man dead who simply reached out to steady the ark after the oxen stumbled. But David was, was so concerned and he was so confused that he would not transport the ark any further. He instead left it in the house of another man within the nation of Israel, this man named Obadiah. And he left it there for three months. And during those three months, as I said, David did his homework. And he came to understand, he came to learn that over the years that apparently even the Levites themselves had forgotten God's law as to how the ark was to be transported. It could not be transported on a cart pulled by oxen. It had been fashioned with rings on the side of the ark and poles had been manufactured that would slip through those rings and the Levites and only the Levites 
were to bear the ark on those poles resting on their shoulders. And so they were to take it by foot from place to place wherever it needed to be transported. Now apparently even the, the, peop- the leaders within the tribe of Levi had forgotten this. I made the point as we closed our lesson last time that whenever you get away from the word of God for a long enough period of time, you forget the word of God. You forget it. You forget its teachings. And so David did his homework during that three-month period where he had left the ark in the household of Obadiah, and when he learned his mistake, he got the tribe of Levi together, the, the, the leaders within Levi, and he told them what they needed to do. And then they transported the ark safely and properly to Jerusalem. Now, David learned the lesson that how we dedicate ourselves to God is important. Not just that we feel dedicated or that we say we're dedicated, but equally important is how we dedicate ourselves to God. We can't make it up and do it our own way. Because as I've said, if you ask somebody or if you ask different people, what does it mean to be dedicated to God? You're probably going to get a variety of answers. And some people would think that you don't even have to be a part of the Lord's church, that God sent his son to this earth to die to establish in order to be dedicated. You don't have to be a part of the church. You can just declare yourself dedicated. You can feel like you're dedicated. You can say you're dedicated, so you're dedicated. That's not what the scriptures say. How we dedicate ourselves to God is important. David learned the lesson. That's the principle. Now, let's start to make applications in specific ways. Here are some areas, and I'm not suggesting that these are all of the areas, but over the next several programs, we'll look at a number of different areas wherein specific application of the principle how we dedicate ourselves to God is important is crucial for us to understand. In doctrine, how we dedicate ourselves to God is important. Doctrine simply means teaching. That's what the word means. So what we believe is important. Not just that we believe something, but what we believe is important. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the wise man wrote, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. That phrase, good doctrine, should stand out to us. A lot of people think doctrine doesn't really matter that much. I actually had a denominational preacher indicate such to me, basically at least, whether he realized what he was saying or not. He was just trying to minimize the importance of doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. And here the wise man writes, I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. 
Scripture indicates that there is good doctrine and by implication that there is also doctrine that is not good. Well, that should go without saying. There is teaching that is truth and there is teaching that is false. And we need to understand the distinction between the two and hold to the one and never take part in the other. If we turn to Titus in the New Testament, Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. For sound doctrine. Now that word sound is simply a synonym for what we read back in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 2, the word good. We understand what the word sound means. If you're laying a foundation for a new building, whatever kind of building it might be, it might be your house. An inspector may come along from the city or the county, wherever you're building that house or that structure, and inspect that foundation once it's laid and once it's poured and declare that it is sound. You don't want to build a building. You don't want to build a house. You don't want to build a skyscraper. You don't want to build a bridge on a foundation that is not sound. When we're talking about it being sound, we're talking about it being good, secure. Well, Paul says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. We must be determined to believe and live by and teach only sound doctrine. Not just some doctrine, certainly not just any doctrine, but it must be and it must only be sound doctrine. When Paul was writing to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, Paul was in prison in Rome for the second time. The first time he was released. This second time, as he writes this letter, he seems to have a completely different tone as he writes. And he seems to indicate that he believes he will not only not be released this time, but he seems to believe and indicate that he expects to be executed this time. And so he gives Timothy some kind of some final instructions and encouragement. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we look at verses 3 and 4, Paul says, well, let me go back to verse 2. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now remember, the word doctrine simply means teaching. And Paul has charged Timothy to, in season and out of season, when it's easy and when it's not easy, when it's popular, when it's not popular, to preach the word. Exhort, convince, rebuke with all long suffering and teaching or doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people are not going to want to hear the truth. They're going to want to have their ears scratched. And they're going to find teachers who will scratch their ears for them. It's kind of like going to McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or wherever, whatever fast food place you might frequent for your hamburger. You want to have it your way. In fact, you may be able to go to some of those places and even within those specific establishments say, I want it this way. I want it with cheese. I don't want it with cheese. I want it a double patty. I want double cheese. I want a tomato on it. I want onions on it. I don't want anything on it. I want it with some mustard and ketchup. I don't want any ketchup on it. The list can go on and on and on, you see. We can go into those places. We want to have it our way, how we like it. But Paul is saying, that's the way people are going to start thinking in their spiritual lives about Christianity, about following God, about faithfulness. They're going to want to have it their way. And they're going to find teachers who will teach it their way. Now, let me tell you, my friend, those teachers are all over the place today. You can just scour the denominational world and you can find it your way. You just keep looking far enough and you'll find teachers who will teach what you want to hear. It won't necessarily be what the Bible teaches, at least not totally, but it'll scratch your ears It'll make you feel good about what you want to believe. Now, that doesn't mean it'll be the truth. doesn't mean it'll be pleasing to God, but you can find it your way. And that's what Paul was warning Timothy about. The time is coming when that's going to happen. Well, the time has long since come. And Paul tells Timothy, this is how you guard against that. You preach the word. You preach it in season and out of season. You preach it when it's popular, you preach it when it's unpopular. Jeremiah could have said something about that. You preach it when it's readily accepted, you preach it when people don't like you, they hate your guts because you're preaching the truth. But you preach the word. Only by holding fast to sound doctrine can false teaching first be recognized and second, refuted and defeated. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, as Paul is giving instruction about elders in the Lord's church, he says, holding fast the faithful word. Now we've seen this three different expressions here referring to the truth of God's word. One time was good doctrine, one time was sound doctrine, and here we see faithful word. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, there's that phrase again, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. In other words, to recognize 
and refute the false teachers in their false teaching. We need to know the truth so that we can stand on the truth, know what we're supposed to stand on, and also at the same time stand against error. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, Paul writes, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul writes, sound doctrine. Doctrine is sound only if the gospel declares it to be sound. Only if it conforms to the teachings of God's word. Now look at this emphatic instruction by the Apostle Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle John, as he wrote 2 John, there's only one chapter in that short letter, and we look at beginning with verse 9 and reading down through verse 11. John writes, whoever transgresses, whoever transgresses, and that would be a synonym for sins, or goes beyond, misses the mark, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, in other words, does not remain in the doctrine of Christ, remember that simply means teaching, does not have God. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Now, does that sound like what doctrine we believe and teach and practice matters? If you mess up on this, if you don't get it right, you're not walking with God. You don't have God. Now, that's not me saying that. That's John saying that. And that's not even John saying that. That's God saying that. And John was simply guided by God through the Holy Spirit to write those very words. John goes on and says, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So we've got to make sure we not only believe the truth, but we're following the truth if we want to have God in our lives. And then John goes on and says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds sound doctrine. We need to make sure that we believe and that we're living by the true doctrine of God's word, the true doctrine of Christianity. And if we are not, then John says we're not walking with God. Now again, if that makes you angry, you take that up with God because it's his word, not mine. We're going to stop here and park again. We'll come back and continue this study next time. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us. You can ask for that free Bible study that we always offer. 
and it is absolutely free. We'll even take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD, and again, for free, and we'll take care of the postage. So write down that information, contact us right away. Don't delay and take advantage of these opportunities to study God's word further. It can make an eternal difference in your life.